0: I also always thought that having privilege meant nice cars and big houses and fancy meals, right? Growing up in an environment where we only went out for a nice meal on occasions and for birthdays, um, privilege to me meant not having to wait for an occasion to have a nice meal. And so with all this in mind, I I went into the community only to realise that privilege meant access to quality education not having to worry whenever I walked out of my house, not having to worry about being arrested or detained, um, not having to worry about when uh, my next meal was. I think growing up with so-called privileged kids to a certain extent, um, our conversations consisted around gadgets, you know, when are we getting a new phone, when are we getting a new laptop, when are we going to the next nice holiday destination, right? So for me, it was reframing the idea of what privilege is um, that inspired me to do what I do today.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Saidi Kwa founded Refuge for the Refugees, a non-profit organisation that seeks to raise awareness regarding the status of refugees in Malaysia, as well as provide education for refugee children, when she was just 18 years old. Refuge for the Refugees supports and empowers refugee schools, halfway homes and a refugee vocational training school across Malaysia and Myanmar, ensuring and fighting for quality education for all. In addition to raising awareness and providing education and entrepreneurship skills for refugees, Heidi works on the ground to rescue refugees from detention camps and human trafficking rings. Her work was recognised by the Queen in 2017 when she was awarded the Queen's Young Leader Award. This year, Heidi was a recipient of the Women of the Future Southeast Asia Award for community spirit
0: and public service. I grew up in Kiel in Malaysia, I'm the youngest of three, I've got an older sister who's four years older I've got an older brother. So growing up the youngest of three, I think I've always been uh, very, very timid and very, very soft-spoken. Always had my older siblings to make decisions for me. Always kind of followed in the footsteps and the shadows of my older siblings. It wasn't until coming out of high school did I start learning to kind of stand on my two feet and having a voice for myself and speaking up on issues that I strongly believe in. After high school,
1: did you go on to university? Did you carry on studying? Because I know that you set up your foundation. Is it a foundation? Is that the right word for it? Yeah.
0: When you were 18? It's a non-profit organization. Yeah. So after high school, I did go into college and university, but I also was running the organization at the same time. So basically, right after high school, I had about four months before I started college when I decided that I wanted to do something uh, meaningful with my time. So asked around and kind of assessed the needs in that sense and found out about a refugee school in the heart of KL that needed support with English teachers. And we thought like, you know what, we'll go in and we'll teach for a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks turned into many years now. Um, About three or four months in, if I'm not mistaken, right before I started college, which is like pre-U here, I went into headmaster's office and I told him that like, hey, I would be quitting um, I'll be stopping volunteering so that I could focus on my college, you know, as what my parents told me to. But I think it was then when he told me that, like, you know, Heidi, that's perfectly fine. The school will be closed down, your lack of funds anyway. So because of that, you know, you can go to college. And then it dawned on me, like, you know, difference. Um, that I was about to pursue higher education, something that I didn't really need to. I kind of knew, I guess, since I was... A young child that I would go to college one day, growing up in KL, in Pataling Jaya, right? Growing up in City in that sense, I always knew that college was in the books. It always felt like something I had to do, not necessarily something I wanted to do in that sense. But I think understanding that these kids were about to be robbed of their only access to education was something that I really struggled with understanding. And because of that, you know, we told the headmaster give us a couple of weeks. We'll um, try to raise funds to keep the school afloat. And from there, one thing led to another. When you're fundraising, you know, to keep to sustain the school, that's when we realized that. Malaysians knew very little about refugees. There was so little awareness, you know, surrounding the topic of refugees. And, and we had to do something about it. So um, we decided to turn Refugee to Refugees. Um, that was a project into a non-profit organisation after. It's
1: quite incredible to hear you talk about it. And I think coming from a Western world, to think of an 18-year-old yeah. taking it upon herself to go and set up an NGO refuge yeah. for the refugees. That's quite an incredible feat. Did you... I mean, obviously you talked about the background and where you grew up and all of that kind of thing. What was your inspiration for getting involved? Was it to try and help or was it something that you think is ingrained in you to go and be
0: helpful to people in these situations? Where did the inspiration come from? Yeah, I think for me, it was understanding my privilege in that sense. You know, I went to a government school and it was a really good school. And my friends were people who represented the school in one another, right? So they're all debaters and public speakers and cheerleaders and athletes. Um, and every day we'll gather around a canteen table and talk about the injustice that's happening in our country, you know. And it's always, you know, it always ends with like, You know, the government needs to do more, you know, non-profit organizations need to do We're always pointing fingers and just so angry with how broken the system was. I mean, one day it dawned on me, like, you know, before I point fingers, what am I doing about the situation? I can't just be sitting around a canteen table and talking about what others are not doing enough. So for me, it was understanding my privilege, I guess. I grew up always thinking that privileged men going on nice holidays every year, Because it's what I saw my cousins doing, right? I mean, coming from a single income family, I never really had the opportunity to go for like nice fancy holidays until I was an adult and could afford my own holidays, right? Um, But my cousins, on the other hand, they would go for ski trips every year. You know, they'll go away for Christmas. And I remember just looking at them and just thinking like, you know, that is what it means to be privileged. I also always thought that having privilege meant nice cars and big houses and fancy meals, right? Growing up in an environment where we only went out for a nice meal on occasions and for birthdays, um, privilege to me meant not having to wait for an occasion to have a nice meal. And so with all this in mind, I, I went into the community only to realize that privilege meant access to quality education, not having to worry whenever I walked out of my house, not having to worry about being arrested or detained, um, not having to worry about when um, my next meal was. I think growing up with so-called privileged kids to certain extent, um, our conversations consist around gadgets, you know, when are we getting a new phone, when are we getting a new laptop, when are we going to the next nice holiday destination. right? So for me, it was reframing the idea of what privilege is um, that inspired me to do what I do today. It was understanding that being privileged means having a voice, being able to speak up, having access to quality education, having a roof over my head, having safe running water, and not having to worry about when I would eat my next meal.
1: And it's become a full-time role for you, hasn't it? You've dedicated yourself to working with your NGO, but also it's been, it's been a challenge, right? You faced as much as you're yeah. working as hard as you possibly can to try and improve the lives of these people. You've come up with a lot of adversaries, haven't you? And it's not, yeah. it's not been easy by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's been, it's been really hard, more than ever, I would say, I mean, when we first started, it was difficult for so many reasons, difficult because you're a bunch of young women trying to speak up against a part of refugees, right? And coming from a culture where, you know, everyone expects you to either be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or an accountant. Um, You know, when you tell people that you're running a non-profit organization, it's almost as if you've brought shame upon the family, right? Every Chinese senior, I get comments, you know, and people tell me like, hey, you know, why do you study so hard if you plan to become a nanny to run a non-profit organization? organization to run a charity project you don't need to go to school for that so it was kind of having to grapple with a lot of that growing up and then having to grapple with um, fighting for a space at a table you know where we go to law and policy meetings being young is difficult but being a young woman is so really difficult But over time, I think when you speak up about such a controversial subject, you know, about refugees and migrants, the common feedback we get is why can't you help Malaysians first? Why can't you prioritise locals? During the pandemic especially, um, we saw a rise in, I mean, people just, Started becoming really xenophobic, right? It's almost as if when a pandemic hits, we need to take care of our own people first. And so, even when we were serving the refugee community and sort of speaking up about just injustice happening, you know, within refugee communities with mass arrests happening, with mass evictions happening, with issues within detention centers, that's when the cyberbullying happened. Um, and until today. I still get messages in my inbox, on my social media channels, telling me to go kill myself, you know, for helping refugees. People are still hard up against the fact that we are serving the refugee community. And people are not happy with it.
1: How, I mean, that's awful, really. I don't know how anyone could say these things to you. Do you find... build up a sense of resilience I mean it must be very very hard because you're still relatively young to not take these things to heart and to deter you from what you're trying to do
0: yeah I do think that over the past couple of months especially I've learned tune out the noises I mean I used to read through every comment every message that comes in and almost in a natural sense, because it could be a good opportunity are reaching out with. Um, but I think I've learned to not the noises and focus on what's important, which is serving the community. People will always have things to say. People will always criticize the work that we do, right? Um, they will always tell you in one way or another that you're not doing enough. But I think it's really important to focus on the work and not what people say about you. And not try to live up to people's expectations of you, I guess.
1: I'm hoping you have a really good support network but I was wondering is there a standout moment or a person in particular that you would say has helped mold you and help you on this particular path that you set out on?
0: Yeah I think I think the one core person uh, would be This lady, her name is Dr. Hartini Zainudian. She is a child rights activist here in Malaysia. When I was 18 and when I was just starting out, I remember just desperately, so desperately looking for a mentor and someone that I could learn from. And I dropped an email to many people and the only person that replied was Dr. Hartini. And so she met up with me and she kind of just guided me through the different roles, you know, and what the work entails. And until today, she's still my go-to person. I mean, I'm sure I might have mentioned about the police investigation when I spoke up about detention centres. I remember when I was called into the police station, she came to pick me up and sat outside waiting for me until I was done. She's my go-to person every time I take on a really difficult case that looks into baby selling, for example, in Malaysia, you know, dealing with human traffickers and syndicates and just having really big elements of danger. She's the one person that I go to that I know will have my back. And will be able to look into ways to keep me safe while I do the work that is so important. Do you think then, I mean,
1: this is kind of an obvious question, but the role of a mentor is so important to anybody. It's almost like you can't be what you can't see. But also, as you were just describing, the support and the care
0: and the love. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think i would be able to do what I do today if it wasn't for Dr. Tini. She's definitely been an amazing role model. She's shown me how to do things right and how to do things well. But she's also really made me realize the power of believing in somebody. Every single time I've gone to her, she's always said yes over and over again. And that made me feel so reassured in that sense in the work that I do, knowing that I will not. Have to be alone, no matter how difficult and lonely things got.
1: And for your work, your incredible work in this space, you received the yeah. Young Leaders Award from Queen Elizabeth in yeah. 2017. Can you yeah. tell me what that was like? That
0: must have been quite a mind blowing experience. Yeah, definitely. I think that was, yeah, that was back in 2017. I still remember. I remember getting a call, I think, um, in the middle of the day, right after we were done setting down for one of the awareness campaigns, and a call came in telling me that I've been chosen to receive the award from the Queen. I mean, everything happened so quickly after, you know, being on board into the program, meeting the other award winners, it was a really surreal experience. I mean, having gone to London a couple of times growing up, I've always stood outside the Buckingham Palace in awe, right? Watching Mm -hmm. the changing of guards. And I've always wondered how was it like being able to go in one day, knowing that it was clearly impossible. So being able to finally enter Buckingham Palace and receive the award, as well as meet members of the royal family, that really, yeah, that was quite a moment to remember.
1: And across all of the work that you've done, is there any one thing in particular that stands out or that you're
0: particularly proud of? Uh, I think it's how we've grown to learn to kind of stick to our own vision over the years. I think as we grow the organization and the work, there are always people that come in with plenty of advice, you know, try to tell you what you need to do as an organization. But I think the fact that we've, we've remained focused and consistent over the years is something that I am incredibly proud of because consistency pays off. I feel, Mm. you know, we've seen our kids who were with us from the very beginning, who couldn't read and write when they first entered our schools, who couldn't speak a word of English, who just came fresh from Myanmar. Today, they've graduated as in their schools. They have gotten a full scholarship in the US to go to school in good universities. And that reminds me of the power of being consistent and focused in what we do. We might not see results overnight, and I think being in a generation where everyone really pressures you for overnight results in that sense, Mm -hmm. for me, I think knowing that many years of hard work in fighting for access to quality education for these kids, to see it come to pass in the recent years has been very, very refreshing. Yeah.
1: Are you still really hands-on with the work? Are you still there day-to-day?
0: Yeah, so I'm still extremely hands-on with the work. Not so much, I used to be very actively involved in teaching the kids. Um, Not so much anymore as the work grows because today we are in about 35 different schools. We do a lot more advocacy work. We do a lot more work um, in detention centres and prisons. We look into human trafficking as well. Issues surrounding human trafficking and, and just exploitation of vulnerable communities. So I am still very, very actively involved, um, but just in different components, I guess.
1: And how did you first hear about the Women of the Future program and what inspired you to get involved?
0: Yeah, so um, in 2018, I was at an award ceremony when I met this lady, her name is Datin Su from Malaysia. So we were both receiving um, this thing called the Marie Claire Amazing Women Award. And she was telling all of us at the table that like, hey, you guys should apply for the Women of Future Award. That was in 2018. Um, And she was just really insistent on making sure that we all applied for it, right? (laughs) Um, And even like, she's based in London now. And like, I remember we seeing the link and looking through the past award winners. And just thinking like, you know what, I I can't, I won't qualify because these women are just... (laughs) doing amazing groundbreaking work, right? So you had imposter um, syndrome. You were like, uh, I can't, yeah. no, not, not possible. Yeah, and all this, <laughs> I mean, like a lot of the Malaysian winners were, were scientists doing amazing things, you know, within the fields of science. And they were all either a datin or a doctor and I was just a 20-something-year-old, right? Hoping to do something to, to make a difference. Um, so I never applied until um, every year I would actually go check it out. <laughs> and think, like, oh, you know what? I wouldn't qualify anyway, so I shouldn't try. Until last year, if I'm not mistaken, when nominations first opened, I got an email from Women of the Future saying that, like, hey, I think you're a great candidate. Like, you know, why don't you try? Come on. Come on yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I thought, like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. If Women of the Future were to reach out to me, like, maybe I stood a chance. So, mm. so I went for it anyway. Yeah, and I'm really glad I did.
1: Because you you yeah. won, didn't you, this year, the first virtual yeah. award. Yeah. And I saw your reaction on social media and it was so lovely. Yeah. And you absolutely you yeah. looked elated. You were so happy. Yeah. It, it meant a lot to you, right? And
0: to your family. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I honestly wasn't expecting to win at all. And that's why I was I mean, like while we were told to justice for the awards, I, <laughs> I was in the <laughs> hit. <laughs> um, and just kind of like <laughs> Just kind of like camping out To see like what happens <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm i so so thankful for the opportunity And talking about
1: Kind of social media and your family How have you guys been managing in the pandemic Because I've seen your organisation Has been giving out food and things like that Has it yeah. been a struggle for you?
0: Yeah, so um, when, um, when the first lockdown happened, I actually had to move out of my family home for a bit because my parents are, um, I mean, they're in the 60s and I was coming in contact with a lot of high-risk communities. So I had to move out for about three months, which was really difficult for mm. both myself and my parents. But I think, I think like we've, we're learning to cope, I guess. We're learning to manage things yeah, we were really, really busy um, giving out food. Um, we were giving out food to about a thousand families every single week for six months. Um, ah, so that's that was people, yeah, yeah. So that was yeah, that was quite a bit to manage.
1: Okay, I have some quick fire questions for you. What yes. would you describe as your greatest success?
0: I know it's quite a and I and I shouldn't be thinking
1: spontaneity.
0: My I think my greatest success would be learning to be authentic in the work. Yeah.
1: What do you what do you mean by that? Like just true to yourself? You mean you mean that?
0: Yeah, true to myself. Um, true to true to what the work needs. I think, I personally have seen, especially across this pandemic, that a lot of organizations are focused on building our brand names, Mm. and in return, we don't really pay much focus on the community and what they need. So I think over the years, I've really learned to put the communities, um, to make sure that they're focused, that they're the focus of our work, to make sure that they're the main stakeholders that we consult with every single time we come up with a new project or program. They are our experts and our consultants. And I think that, you know, this is such a big element that's missing in most organizations these days, right? Because over time we think that we are the experts and we know it all, but really we don't. Okay.
1: What would you describe as your greatest failure?
0: I think my greatest failure, um, would be just, my greatest failure would be my fear in leading people. It's, it's an integrated I struggle with very much until today, um, and that's why I think for the past three, four years, we have not hired anyone new because I really feared, I've, I think I feared failing people in that sense. Um, so next year is exciting because you're finally hiring someone to be part of the team once again.
1: Okay, so the mantra of Women of the Future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life?
0: I think to me that means um, really learning to champion other people and, and wholeheartedly believing in their causes. I feel that we live in a world that's so full of competition these days that as organisations serving the same communities, we often see each other as competitors and not collaborators. I want to be able to fully champion and celebrate the people around me and to do it well.
1: Is there anything that scares
0: you? So much. Everything. <laughs> um, I think not being able to make significant difference in the community that we serve scares me a whole lot i constantly feel that I, i wake up every day just thinking like hey what else can we do and are we truly serving the community are we is the work that we do truly benefiting the community are we doing more good than harm in that sense so i think i think that scares me right it scares me thinking that if we don't truly consult the community every single time we try to do a new project or program, we might end up causing more harm to the community instead of more good.
1: What's left on your to-do list?
0: I... There's so much I want to do. I, mean, okay, I, was, honestly, I would imagine it's
1: pretty long, right? It would be really, really long.
0: Yeah. I mean, the ultimate goal, I mean, you know, if it ever happens, would be to be Prime Minister one day oh I'd like to see that Um, I'd love to see that yeah yeah so I think like before that happens there's still a lot more to work towards and it starts with changing one policy at a time and just influencing one community at a time
1: Heidi you are so inspirational it actually makes me feel a little bit emotional talking to you just to hear your passion (laughs) and what you do is just it makes such a difference so thank you for taking the time I know it's getting pretty late Ooh. where you are so um i yeah. really i really appreciate yeah. it yeah thank
0: you for having me
1: thank you for listening to this week's episode of the woman of the future podcast if you enjoyed it please hit the subscribe button and while you're there why not give us a rating and review you know you want to for more about the woman of the future awards network and initiative please visit uk. see you soon